Someone may say that aside from devotees who are always seeking the shelter at the lotus feet of the Lord, there are those who are not devotees but who have accepted different processes for attaining salvation. What happens to them? In answer to this question, Lord Brahma and the other demigods said, O Lotus Eyed Lord, although non devotees who accept severe austerities and penances to achieve the highest position may think themselves liberated, their intelligence is impure. They fall down from their position of imagined superiority because they have no regard for your lotus feet. Purport by His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. Aside from devotees, there are many others, non-devotees, known as karmis, jnanis, or yogis, philanthropists, altruists, politicians, impersonalists, and voidists. There are many varieties of non-devotees who have their respective ways of liberation. But simply because ah, they do not know the shelter of the Lord's lotus feet, although they falsely think that they have been liberated and elevated to the highest position, they fall down. As clearly stated by the Lord himself in Bhagavad Gita, Ashraddhana purusha dharmasyasya parantapa aprapya mam nivartante mrityu samsaravartmani those who are not faithful on the path of devotional service cannot attain me, conqueror of foes, but return to birth and death in this material world. It does not matter whether one is a karmi, jnani, yogi, philanthropist, politician, or whatever. If one has no love for the lotus feet of the Lord, one falls down. That is the verdict given by Lord Brahma. In this verse, there are persons who advocate accepting any process and who say that whatever process one accepts will lead to the same goal. But that is refuted in this verse, where such persons are referred to as vimukti manina, signifying that although they think they have attained the highest perfection, in fact they have not. In the present day, big, big politicians all over the world think that by scheming, they can occupy the highest political post, that of president or prime minister. But we actually see that even in this life, such big prime ministers, presidents, and other politicians, because of being non-devotees, fall down, patantyata. To become president or prime minister is not easy. One must work very hard, aruya krishtrena, to achieve the post. 
And even though one may reach his goal, at any moment one may be kicked down by material nature. In human society there have been many instances in great exalted politicians have fallen from government and become lost in historical oblivion. The cause of this is avishuddha buddhaya, their intelligence is impure. The Shastra says, one achieves the perfection of life by becoming a devotee of Vishnu. But people do not know this. Therefore, as stated in Bhagavad Gita, Klesho persons who do not ultimately accept the Supreme Personality of Godhead and take to devotional service but who instead are attached to impersonalism and voidism, must undergo great labor to achieve their goals. To achieve understanding, such persons work very hard and undergo severe austerities but their hard labor and austerities themselves are their only achievement, for they do not actually achieve the real goal of life. Dhruva Maharaj at first wanted to achieve the greatest material kingdom and greater material possessions than his father. But when he was actually favored by the Lord, who appeared before him to give them the benediction he desired, Juva Maharaj refused it, saying, Swamin Now I am fully satisfied. I do not want any material benediction. This is the perfection of life. Yam labdha chaparam labham manyate nadikam tata. If one achieves the shelter of the Lord's lotus feet, one is fully satisfied and one does not need to ask for any material benediction. At night, no one can see a lotus, for lotuses blossom only during the daytime. Therefore, the word Aravindaksha is sig significant. One who is not captivated by the lotus eyes or transcendental form of the Supreme Lord is in darkness exactly like one who cannot see a lotus. One who has not come to the point of seeing the lotus eyes of the transcendental form of Shamsundar is a failure. Those who are attached to the Supreme Personality of Godhead in love always see the Lord's lotus eyes and lotus feet, whereas others cannot see the Lord's beauty and are therefore classified as anadrita yusmarangaraya, or neglectful of the Lord's personal form. Those who neglect the Lord's form are surely failures on every path in life. But if one develops even a little love for the Supreme Personality of Godhead, one is liberated without difficulty. Therefore, the Supreme Personality of Godhead recommends in Bhagavad Gita 
Simply think of me, become my devotee, worship me and offer some slight homage to me. Simply by this process one is guaranteed to return home back to Godhead and thus attain the highest perfection. The Lord further affirms in Bhagavad Gita, Brahma Bhuta Prasanatma Nashochati Nakangshati Samasarvesha Bhuteshu Madhbhaktim Labate Param Bhaktiyamama Bijananti Yavanyashta Smitatvataha Tathomam Dhotvato Gyatva Vishitetad Anantaram One who is thus transcendentally situated at once realizes the Supreme Brahman and becomes fully joyful. He never laments nor desires to have anything. He is equally disposed to every living entity. In that state, he attains pure devotional service unto me. One can understand the Supreme Personality of Godhead as he is only by devotional service. And when one is in full consciousness of the Supreme Lord by such devotion, he can enter into the kingdom of God. This sloka is spoken by Lord Brahma along with the great Devatas is a statement often cited by the great Acharyas to confirm from the pages of the Srimad Bhagavatam that the only eternal or permanent position that one can achieve through the process of Bhakti Yoga is that position of unalloyed devotional service to the Lord. People are very much due to frustration by the dualities of this material world. They seek to achieve mukti or liberation. It is explained here by the demigods that even this position of liberation is utterly unsatisfying to the soul that is eternally thirsting for the sweetness of the service of the lotus feet of Lord Sri Krishna. Of the various types of transcendentalists, it is described here in the purport by Srila Prabhupada that there are karmis. Uh, they are seeking higher material pleasures in life. Most people approach God in the various religions for this purpose. They want some security. They feel if there is a God, he will protect what I have and give me what I do not have for my enjoyment 
and for the welfare of my family members, my nation. And uh, if there is a God, whatever I do have, he could take it away. So out of fear, I should pacify him by going to the temple, by performing some puja, by offering prayers, and by accepting some um, tapasya or some vow of austerity on a regular basis. I will fast one day a week. I will give so much in charity. In this way I will ensure that God will not take away what he is allowing me to enjoy. And he will give me more and I will be more happy. And ultimately, huh, if I please the Lord, then I can be elevated to the higher material planets where there's much greater enjoyment. There are some religions in this world that simply teach that this is the supreme goal of life, <clears throat> the fastest growing religion in America. They teach that if you worship God, you and your entire family, because when you marry it is eternal, and your children are eternally your children, and your parents are eternally your parents. And if you please the Lord and become initiated in their particular line of thought and serve the church very faithfully throughout your life, then you and your family are given your own planet and you get to create other planets and you get to live long, 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 long life with no disease in bodies that um, have tremendous duration and in this way you enjoy as a creator and a king and that is why it's the fastest growing religion in America because this is what people want. They want to be controllers, they want long lives, they want health, they want so much material facilities for enjoyment. But Krishna explains in the Gita, for those who have the buddhi, the intelligence, to hear the truth. From the highest planet in this material world, where Lord Brahma, the real, actual Brahma, is residing, down to the lowest Patala Lokas. They are all places of misery because they are all temporary. They are all places of repeated birth and death. Dukalaya Mashasutam, Napnavanti Mahatmana, Samsarim Puramangata. It is explained that the great sages, they do not aspire for anything temporary because they know everything temporary is miserable. Dukalayam Ashashvatam. All the miseries of the material world are simply because we are attached to that which is temporary. And everything within the cosmic manifestation is temporary. Whether one has the most beautiful, luxurious, long-lived life or whether one is uh, 
living like an insect for only one or two nights. They are equally miserable because they are places of birth and death. So therefore a devotee of the Lord understands this principle and never, ever, ever aspires to find happiness in the material pleasures of the temporary senses and their objects. Yehi samsparashicha bhoga dhuka buddha. Krishna says, an intelligent person never takes part in the sources of misery which are born of the contact of the senses and their objects. Such a person knows that such pleasures have a beginning and an end and he does not delight in them. So some people, they understand, yes, it is true, this material world, all these luxuries, conveniences, comforts, ultimately bring us great distress. And factually, the more you have, the more you suffer. Because the more you have, the more you feel you deserve. And the more you become conditioned. And then when you don't get the quantity that you are accustomed to, your mind goes mad with anxiety. Just like we see somebody who lives in a big, big house. I remember in America, one time there was very bad snowstorms and it was very cold and there was no heat. So everybody who lived in their big rich houses, they had to leave and go into school, gymnasiums, and sleep on the floor because it was the only place there was heat. The government could only afford to heat certain big halls. So the poor people, they were very happy. They're used to sleeping on the floor. They would just take rest, no problem. But the rich people, they were totally miserable. How could we sleep on the floor? How could they tell us to be in a place like this? What kind of food are they giving us? So the more you have, the more you expect. What to speak of after the war? After the Second World War, the poor people, I mean, nobody had anything in Europe. Nobody had anything. The poor people just went on living. They were just no problem. But the wealthy people, how are we going to live such a simple life? Impossible. It's very difficult. When they see a rat, they become so much afraid. What to speak of roaches? In this way, it's so totally anxiety. So factually, the more you're conditioned to enjoying the comforts and the luxuries of life, the more when somehow or other by the arrangement of providence you don't have it, you suffer. And there's always going to be times in your life when you just don't have it. I remember one time we went on a yatra to Badrinath and there were brahmacharis there and there were also many rich millionaires who came with us. And by the, they all, the wealthy men, they, they made all the arrangements for the buses and the living facilities and everything. But no one is the controller in this world because when we got there, there was a snowstorm, the roads were closed, there were no heat, there was no way to get down. And some of the 
for the brahmacharis it was just no problem this is the way we live but others it was very difficult how are we going to live we don't have bathroom we don't it's cold we don't have bed we don't have heat so the more we're accustomed to having the more we suffer when we don't have that is why intelligent people they don't care for these things they are simply content in any situation because they don't expect anything whatever they're given they're grateful to be ungrateful is a tremendous anxiety to be grateful is bliss when you're grateful it gives a, a pleasure to the heart especially when you're grateful to God that is the supreme pleasure of the heart to be grateful to God for whatever he gives or whatever he takes away but when we are accustomed to having more and more and more and more when we're accustomed to get what we want when we're accustomed to have servants doing accord complying to our every command and when people do not comply and we don't have what we want our mind goes mad in anxiety and frustration but a simple man who's just whatever anyone does whatever anyone gives very grateful because he really has nothing such a person can always be thankful to god and feel the peace and the bliss the satisfaction of that simple living and high thinking we read about in the heavenly planets how indra he's always afraid someone's going to try to take away what he wants and even indra how long does he stay indra when his karma runs out he has to leave that position and come back to a very common man's position in this world and depending on what he has done when he was injured he may even become an insect everything is taken away and even while he's indra sometimes bali maharaj comes and marches in and takes everything away and he has to hide so in this way what is the pleasure of such great wealth it is all a great illusion and however much it is as soon as your karma runs out you fall just like in this world so many great nations the roman empire it has fallen the greek empire it has fallen the british empire it has fallen we should not fall asleep shamananda has fallen asleep <laughs> all these great empires all these great kings they all fall because when their pious activities are exhausted they realize that it is all temporary so great yogis they do not want these luxuries or comforts in life they go to the mountains the himalayas or to some bank of a holy river to perform severe tapasya they fast they take strict vows sometimes they even torture their bodies willingly just because they do not want in any way to have any inclination for the senses and their objects and they sit and they control their breath and they 
ah, their life errors and in this way through fasting and through meditation, dhyan, it is explained that they open various chakras and within their um, the network in which the life energy flows and in this way they become very very powerful great mystics they could create gold with their bare hands they could read people's minds these are all little things the, the mystic yogis in this world who people claim to be God because they can create little gold or some ash or some um, read people's minds or something like that these are the the most preliminary um, qualities of a mystic yogi it is explained that the, the great mystics they could create planets they could become littler than the smallest and larger than the largest prapti siddhi they can take within a second any article from any place in the universe they could completely control others' lives and minds. But even this situation, just as, as we were explaining, all karma, however good and pious it may be, has a beginning and an end. It runs out. So similarly, all mystic powers, you may perform great tapasya, you may perform great, great, great quantities of meditation, sense control, fasting, gain this great power, but eventually it's going to run out. It's still within the realm of the temporary conditions of this material world. And again, you have to fall. We have seen Vishwamitra Muni. He has attained the highest ultimate state of a yogi. And yet within seconds he fell down to an ordinary man in this world simply trying to enjoy his senses, frustrated. So persons who have witnessed and seen after so many births of experience they realize that all the mystic perfections are illusion. All the material objects of sense gratification from all the way to the point of Brahma Loka are illusion. So therefore, let me just stop all this illusion forever. Let me never suffer again attachment to the temporary things. And they take to the process of jnana for the purpose of mukti or liberation. And it is described that in this liberated state, there is no dualities, there is no body, there is no mind, there is no intelligence, there is no senses, there are no objects of the senses, there are no allurements. So you're free. We see subtle and gross, the allurements, the temptations of this world are always trying to drag your mind 
to seeking out temporary relief and pleasure, either through mystic powers, either through controlling and enjoying great, great resources. So the jnanis, they understand through mental discrimination, through buddhi, that these things are all temporary. Jagan mitya brahma satyam. That this whole material world is nothing but an illusion. Only Brahma is truth. Aham Brahmasmi. I am that Supreme Spirit. And therefore, through this process, there's no question of suffering because there's no attachment. This is Mukti. And Ah, of the four principles of religion, this is the highest. Artha means economic development. We are seeking like the Karmakandis. Dhamma means religiosity. Kama, sense gratification. And ultimately, moksha, liberation. No more suffering. So people who are frustrated through all their endeavors for peace, for happiness, they seek out this liberated state. One time in the Chaitanya Charitamrita there is explained, there was a devotee of the name Srila Haridas Thakur, and he was giving a lecture at the home of Govardhan and Hiranya Majumadar. And he was explaining that liberation is not very important. Because ultimately, even in the liberated state of mukti, ultimately you have to fall down. Because the soul is seeking love. It is the nature of the soul to love. And in that liberated condition, there is no positive love. There is only the negation of suffering, which is ecstatic. Srila Prabhupada uses the example that when you take a man's head, the kings in the old days would punish them and they would put them under the water. And it was such a miserable condition because they can't breathe under the water. They're simply longing for a breath until just about the point where the person was about to suffocate to death. Then they would pull him by the hair up so he could take some breath. And he was thinking, ah, this is the ultimate pleasure of life. And then they'd cast him back down. And when he's down, as the pressure got worse and worse, the suffering became more and more severe. He has only one thing in his mind, that breath. In a few moments, I'm going to be able to take a breath, and I won't have to suffer. But then again down. Srila Prabhupada explained, Mukti is like this. You're suffering in the ocean of material existence, and you come out into the air. And there's no more suffering. It's ecstatic when you come out of all that suffering. But it's not really pleasure. It's just relief from so much pain. It's not positive. And eventually, you go back down. Why? Because we're looking for loving reciprocation. That is the nature of the soul. And if we're not finding it, in the spiritual sky, 
and we have to come back down to this material world to look for it. Loving exchange is the constitutional nature of the soul. So therefore, Srila Haridas Thakur was explaining in his glorification of the holy name that by chanting Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, we can attain Prema Pumartha Mahan, Purushota Siromani, the supreme jewel of the goal of life, which is Prema Bhakti, pure love of God. And this love is the positive expression of transcendental ecstasy that emanates from the very core of our soul. It is our eternal position, Jivera Swarupoi Krishna Nitya Das, Nitya Siddha Krishna Prema Sadya Kapunoi Sravanadi Sudhicheti Koriya Yudoi, that this pure love of God is dormant within the heart of every living being. And by chanting his holy name and serving his devotees, this love is revived from within. And he was explaining because Haridas Thakur knew that amongst even the most learned great circles of transcendentalists, people are very much aspiring after what they consider the supreme liberation. And he was saying that mukti is so insignificant compared to bhakti. that it is a byproduct. It is something that is automatically achieved without any separate endeavor. It is part and parcel of bhakti. And he explains that the sun of pure love of God, when it rises in the heart, it gives complete light. And he explains, that in the chanting process, even before we attain pure love of God, just in the process, when the sun, before it rises in the morning, there's light. The whole horizon and everything is lit up. Just because the sun is getting close, everything is lit up. So even before we achieve love of God, when we come to that clearing state of chanting the holy name offenselessly, automatically we're liberated. Automatically there's light. All darkness is dispelled. All dualities. We've been learning by the prayer of Srila Rupa Goswami how first there's faith. Initially, Krishna reciprocates that faith and brings us into the association of devotees. There we learn the discipline of how to follow the regulative principles, how to accept the nine processes of devotional service. Gradually we accept a spiritual master, we take initiation, we follow his instructions. Then all the impurities in our heart are cleansed by the process of sadhana bhakti. And soon our faith becomes very strong, very fixed. And then we experience the higher taste, param drisvani vartate, 
a higher taste of devotion to God, service to the Lord and his devotees. And then we become so much attached to Krishna. And when that attachment to Krishna comes, we're automatically liberated. Mukti is a byproduct at that stage of complete attachment to Krishna. When you attain that state of atashakti, or complete attachment of Krishna, you've already achieved mukti or liberation. And then the sun rises, bhava and prema. Bilvamangala Thakur has explained that now that I have achieved by the grace of Guru and Krishna, pure love of God, that Mukti Devi is standing at my doorstep with folded palms ready to serve me and to obey my every command. The six Goswamis of Brijadham have taught us that Mukti becomes the maidservant of one who has achieved love of God, Prema. Therefore, devotees do not aspire for this platform of consciousness. They only aspire after devotional service to the Lord. Na danam na janam na sundarim gavitam vajagadisha kamaye Lord Sri Gauranga has said, I do not want wealth, any amount. I do not want even the most beautiful, beautiful female companionship. I do not want followers or disciples who worship me, adore me, and give me all respects. I do not even want liberation. My only desire is let me take birth again and again and again and again in this world in your unalloyed devotional service. My only aspiration is service. And Dhruva Maharaj, when Kuvera offered him any benediction after Dhruva Maharaj defeated all the yakshas, Dhruva Maharaj he said, the only benediction I want is that I may never forget the Supreme Personality of Godhead and I may always be engaged in the service of his devotees. That is the supreme and only benediction a devotee strives for. This is the path of bhakti. Therefore, devotees following in the footsteps of the great acharyas. They always keep their mind fixed only in the service of Guru and the Vaishnavas. They see no other fortune, no other wealth, no other benediction than the opportunity for more service to the Lord and his devotees. In the Ah, Goswami Astakam by um, Srinivas Acharya. He is explaining that the six Goswamis, Bande Rupa Sanatana Raghuju Goshi Jiva Gopala Go, they are rescuing the conditioned souls 
from the devouring mouth of liberation. And it is described that liberation is like a serpent. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu gave this example to Sanatana Goswami that this aspiration for mukti is like a serpent that is coming to devour you. So the devotees of the Lord, they are not in any way attracted by anything other than the loving service of the Lord and His devotees. In our Chaitanya Charitamrita class, we will soon read of this beautiful, beautiful example that Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu had given to Srila Sanatan Goswami about the man who wanted to find a great treasure. Did you read that already? Ah. And he was told that there are four directions. And he told him that beware. In those four directions, there is the serpent, huh? He represents mukti. And there was the wasp. What does he represent? You don't remember? Ah, anyways, we'll have to go over those. <laughs> Anyway, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is trying to teach us by this beautiful, beautiful example that we should always keep our attention completely focused in seeking the treasure of Prema Bhakti. And the Vaishnavas, the devotees of the Lord, they are the exclusive proprietors of this treasure of Prema Bhakti. In fact, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, after explaining through this analogy to Sanatana Goswami that this treasure of Prema Bhakti is the only thing that will satisfy the soul, it is the only true goal of life, it is the only eternal position, he explains you cannot find that treasure of Prema Bhakti even in the scriptures. There's only one place it is to be found. The essence of the scriptures is that and that alone, but you can only find it in the hearts of the devotees who have surrendered their lives in the dust of the lotus feet of the Vaishnavas. To those devotees, Krishna is manifesting the essence of all Shastra, the essence of the truth. And without gaining the favor of such devotees, The treasure of Prema Bhakti is unattainable by anyone. So this is the great esoteric mystic secret in the school of Bhakti. Yasya prasada bhagavat prasado yasya prasada nagati gutopi. Simply by pleasing our Guru Maharaj, simply by pleasing the exalted Vaishnavas, Krishna is pleased. And when Krishna is pleased only is the treasure of Prema Bhakti revealed within our hearts. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama. Rama.
there any questions? You mentioned the four principles of religion, Dharma, Artha, Kama, Moksha. And elsewhere, we were reading when you were absent, uh, this teachings of Lord Chaitanya. Prabhupada describes five kinds of spiritual perfection, the four being the ones which you mentioned and the fifth being love of God. Is it, how appropriate is it to call sense enjoyment, Kama, as one of the spiritual perfection or the principles of religion? It is what people approach God for. For a bhakta, it is not the perfection. But for those who approach God in the spirit, it is perfection for them. And the scriptures teach that that is the perfection for people who that's all they want. See, every scripture has so many levels to bring you through the three modes of material nature. And the various um, karma kanda, jnana kanda, upash, um, these various sections of the Vedas teach that the perfection for you is this elevation to heavenly planets, greater wealth. Krishna says in Gita, Traigunya Vishaya Veda, Nistraigunya Bhavarjuna that the Vedas mainly, mainly deal with the three modes of material nature. They're mainly promising these things. Just reject all these things and just surrender to me. Abandon all varieties of religion, Krishna says. That means most religion is promising as the perfection of life, atta kama dhamma moksha, abandon them, just surrender to me. Prema pumartha mahana. To surrender to Krishna is to 